Amen. Thank you, Miss Lois, orchestra for the Colton. Take your Bibles with me and turn to Acts 19. <coughs> and as I mentioned this morning and tonight, we're going to be looking at striving together for revival. Uh, you may remember last Sunday, if you were here and if you were awake, uh, I talked about uh, personal prayer for revival. And I want to talk tonight about striving together for revival, Acts 19, verses 8 through 20. I've got a lot of material I want to give you tonight, and I'm going to try to get it out as fast as I can. Brother Campos said he only had about 30 minutes of English in him, and uh, he had about 40. He didn't know it. I think I've only got about, you know, 35, 40 minutes of preaching, but I might have two hours, Brother Campos. We'll see. But uh, let's look together here at the book of Acts, chapter 19. Who was the guy that fell out of the window when Paul preached? What was his name? Oh, it wasn't? Is he here tonight? <laughs> Praise the Lord. He's not here. We're good. No, you're not, Eutychus. Amen. Look here, Acts chapter 19, verse 8. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. I want you to stop just for a minute. And I don't want us to skip over that passage. I want you to think about what the Bible says right there. The Bible said at this time, all those that lived in Asia heard the gospel. Would to God that could be said of our generation today. I want you to understand the gospel was going forth mightily. But let's get back there just for a moment. The Bible tells us in verse 10, And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the disease departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. And certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had an evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one uh, Sceva, a Jew, and a chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped upon them and overcame them and prevailed against them, so they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks, also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. That verse right there is the key to every aspect of the Christian life, but I want you to notice that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ was magnified. Look on in verse 18. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Let's pray together. Lord, what a powerful passage as we read about great revival coming to Ephesus. A wicked, a perverse culture. And yet you did a mighty work there. Lord, from Ephesus, Lord, it seems that the word went forth so much that all of Asia heard the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to get the gospel to our world. Lord, I pray you would send revival in our hearts, in our church, in our city, our country, in our world. Lord, as we talk about this matter of striving together for revival, 
Lord, as a local church, I pray you'd help us to desire what you want for us. Lord, would you help us to magnify Jesus tonight? Lord, I pray you'd help me to teach and preach or write your truth. Lord, I pray that you give me the words to say that will be helpful and beneficial for, for your purpose in our lives. Lord, would you just speak to us and help us as we strive together, as we minister together, as we work together for your purpose. And Lord, as we look at one of those purposes tonight, the matter of revival, Lord, we need your help. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look around our world today, we would certainly say that our world is sick. We would certainly all agree, I would hope, that our world is not what it should be. I remember going to the doctor when I was in college, my freshman year of college, and I was not wise in scheduling my time. I was living on way too little sleep. I was averaging sleeping five days a week for a few hours of each of those five days and working and doing more than I should do. And I got mono, and before you ask, it wasn't from kissing, it wasn't from kissing anybody, Miss Lois. And I got mono, and I went to the doctor, and the doctor said, you know, Mr. Rice, you've got mono, you've got to take off work, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And I looked at her, and I, the doctor, she's a sweet lady, and I said, I'm not going to do that. I said, I'm not stopping working. I said, I'm not going to stop ministry. I'm not going to stop classes. I said, what's option B? She said, you have to quit, you have to quit work. I said, I'm not going to quit work. She said, you're very sick. I said, I'm still alive. And so I finally convinced her. She realized that I was slightly stubborn only because I take after my children. That's why I'm stubborn. And I said, I'm, I'm not quitting. Now, I'm not saying I shouldn't have quit. I probably should have, but I was pretty stubborn. And she kept telling me, Mr. Rice, you're sick. Our country's sick. Our world is sick. And it's easy for us, as we live in a sin-sick world, it's easy for us to say, man, this world is worse than anywhere, anywhere, in any time, and we got it worse than anybody else. But can I tell you, as we look back at the city of Ephesus, and we begin to look at what was going on in that city, that city was sick. It was sick. And yet, although the city and the culture was sick, we see a great revival happen. I believe the answer for our world today is not a new government. Not the answer. Uh, by the way, ne there's never going to be a perfect government outside of Jesus Christ. Well, that's not the answer for our world today. The answer for our world today is not for you know, us to be able to uh, get all the oil out of the ground we can in Alberta. I'm all for oil. I'm all for us using the resources God's given us. But that's not the answer for our culture and our world. The answer for our world is revival. The answer for, our, for fallen, the fallen human race, the answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. John 10.10 10 says, The thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and destroy. By him come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Psalm 85 verse 6, we see a wonderful verse that speaks about revival. It says, wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So the question is tonight, how do we, in 2023, in the city of Edmonton, how do we experience revival? How do we see what the church at Ephesus saw in chapter 19 of the book of Acts? The answer to that question is found here in Acts 19. As we see what God did, how God turned a city upside down, how revival came. And as we study that, we're going to see three different things tonight. I'm going to try to hasten through them uh, that occurred at Ephesus. Three things that happened in this great revival uh, that we can discover that which would pave the way for us 
to strive together for revival. I want to give you just a, a bit of a history, a lesson, a very short history lesson before we begin tonight. The history of the city of Ephesus. In, thir- in 133 B.C., uh, the city came under direct control of the Roman Empire. And under the Romans, Ephesus thrived. Ephesus reached the pinnacle of its greatness during the first and second centuries of the Christian era. At the time of Paul, Ephesus was probably the fourth largest city in the world. Now, we think of you know, cities or we think of people and we think, oh, Paul probably went and talked to 50 people. You know, it's a big city. But there was an es- estimation, historians have guessed, about a quarter of a million people. A fourth the size of our city here. No infrastructure like we have. Imagine that many people living in that place in Ephesus. During the reign of the, of the emperor Hadrian, Ephesus was designated as the capital of the Roman province of Asia. How was it that the gospel went through all Asia? Because they were in the capital. Literally, the gospel was in the hub, in the center of everything that went out across Asia at the time. That was Ephesus in the time we're looking at in Acts 19. Today, the Turkish town of Seljuk occupies the site of the ancient city of Ephesus. But I'm not concerned about its history. I'm not concerned about its location. I'm concerned tonight about what God did in that city. And I want to see some things about it tonight. Number one, revival occurs. Christian, if we're to strive together for revival, we need to understand revival occurs when the truth of God is preached. It's not about uh, great sermons. It's about the truth of God. It's not about a great movement. It's about the truth of God being preached. It's not about some fancy methodology. It's about the truth of God, the word of God being preached. Notice verse 8 in our text. And he went into the synagogues, this is Paul, and spake boldly for the space of three months. Now, now what was he speaking about? The word of God. He was speaking about Jesus Christ. He was speaking about the gospel. He was speaking about the word. Now, we should not be surprised that the center point of revival is the word of God, it is the gospel. Acts chapter 7 verse 2, And Paul and his manner was, went into them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. Now Paul, I believe, was a great speaker. Paul was a trained man. Paul was an educated man. Paul, Paul was a teacher, a great teacher. Uh, he, he was a man who was revered in the sect of the Pharisees. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a man who had control of not only his own tongue, but several languages. He, he could have spoke eloquently on so many subjects, but yet Paul preached the Bible. It was not his speech, it was what he spoke about. His manner was to preach the Word of God Christian, We need to get back to this book, proclaiming this book. The apostles gave a message of reason. By the way, they they weren't just saying, hey, this only makes sense. But can I tell you the message of the Bible, the message of the gospel was a message of reason. Verse 8, he went to the synagogues and spake boldly for the space of three months disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. He used logic, he used reason, but he used the word of God. Don't ever try to lift logic and reason above the word of God. But whenever God would allow us to have them bundled together, as long as the word of God is primary, obviously we use that opportunity. The apostles gave a message of reason. They were an example in boldness. It wasn't popular. It wasn't popular for him to go into the synagogue and say, hey, you know that Jesus you heard about, that you all rejected as Messiah, that you're happy he was killed? Let me, let me take you back and let's, let's look in the book of Isaiah. Let, let, let's look in the Psalms. 
Let, let me explain to you who that was. That was the Messiah. He was the Christ. Hey, let's go back to the book of Moses, the book of Genesis. Whenever God made that promise to Adam and to Eve, God promised to bruise his head. Saul no doubt said that was Jesus. That wasn't popular. He gave, a, he gave though, a message of reason. Uh, he had an example of boldness, and he was prepared. Christians, we ought to be prepared to give an answer. You ought to be prepared. I looked online this week at a, at a Facebook page of a person who passed away. And on that Facebook page over and over and over again, I saw things about how there was no God. How God was a joke. About reasons why there was no God and why the gospel made no sense and all of that. And somebody spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours preparing an argument against Christ and against the word of God. But I wonder how often we think about how we can effectively get the gospel to somebody. Paul was prepared. 1 Peter 3 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer. Every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within the meekness and fear. Let her be tonight. I said the apostles gave a message of reason, but also the audience had a, had a mixed response. And it was very mixed. Now, we see this, and I hope it reminds us, just because every person you share Christ with doesn't accept the gospel doesn't mean God is not working. Brother Campo did a phenomenal job preaching this morning, shared a bit about the ministry, but I, I'm sure if you ask him if every person he's ever shared the gospel with trusted Christ, you'd be shocked to find out they haven't. You wouldn't be shocked at all, would you? As a matter of fact, probably most of the people he shared Christ with Back in the late 1990s and early 2000, the response was greater to the gospel in the Philippines than it is today. Getting harder, isn't it, brother? I talked to a dear brother who's a, been in the Philippines for many years, and he said now it's, there was a time when people would flock around him and beg for the gospel and beg for the word of God. He said now those same folks have enough money, they don't care about it anymore. And they're doing better financially. And they're a little more comfortable. They're not interested in the gospel. That doesn't mean the gospel doesn't still work. That doesn't mean that God is not blessing the giving out of the word of God. You understand that when revival comes, that does not mean that every person will accept the truth. We see there was a varied response to the gospel and to the preaching. In verse 9 it says, But when divers, now that's not talking about people that jump in the water, it's talking about different people. When divers were hardened and believed not, when a lot of people got hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way. Understand Christians were called people of the way. And there were people that they began to badmouth Paul and badmouth those that were preaching the way or Christianity or the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they got hardened in their hearts. And they began to fight against Paul and speak ill against Paul. And separated the disciples disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. Now, as gifted as Paul was, as great of a speaker, no doubt as he was, as zealous as he was, as committed as he was, as yielded as he was to Christ, there were those that hated him and despised him and despised the message of the gospel. By the way, think about this. How did Jesus do? He's perfect, by the way. He is the Word who spoke the Word. He spent most of his time with 12 men. Now, he preached and he, he, he healed the sick, and, but most of the bulk of his time of ministry he spent with 12 men. Can you imagine spending three years maybe with Jesus every day? There were men, 12 men did that. Out of those 12 men that Jesus spent every day with, one of them was Judas. Well, Jesus was a failure, wasn't he? No. The fact that Judas rejected truth did not make truth of less effect. 
did not make Jesus of less effect as well. We see here that there was a varied response to the gospel, to the preaching. The Bible says that Paul moved on to teach daily in the school of Tyrannus. A teacher in Ephesus, her owned or at least operated some sort of lecture hall, some sort of teaching place. Some historians presume that Paul taught during the mid-hours of the day when the regular students were dismissed. That basically it was an empty space and Paul just went in there in the lull and preached a while. We don't know exactly what happened, but we know that there were people that received the word. People rejected the word. It was a varied response. But miraculously in verse 10, and this is so powerful to me, and this continued by the space of two years. So for two years, it seems like Paul went to this place, whether full-time, whether in the middle of the day during open hour, whether under the guise of the teacher or in the space the teacher had. Paul preached the gospel. Paul taught the gospel. And the Bible says in the rest of verse 10, So all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now hold on a minute. How is it possible if Paul is speaking in one place, the school of Tyrannus, and every day, even for two years, how did everybody hear the gospel? Can I tell you what I believe happened? And I believe this bears out in the book of Acts. This bears out in the epistles. The people that Paul taught didn't just sit there and soak like a sponge. The people Paul taught got the message and said, my family needs this. Like the woman at the well, she left her water pots and said, Hey, come see a man who's told me all things whatsoever ever have done. I believe those that Paul taught, God worked a revival in their hearts and they went to their families, they went to their cultures, they went to the, where they were from and they shared Christ and all of Asia heard the gospel. That's the way it ought to be. That's God's plan for the gospel going out. Ephesus is situated on the western coast of, as I mentioned, modern-day Turkey. Or in biblical terms, we call it Asia Minor. Revelation 2, verses 3, was written to seven different cities in that same region. The same region there. Now, how do you reckon those churches that the book of Revelation is written to and about, how do you reckon they started I'll tell you how. Because those in Ephesus went out and propagated the gospel. That's how Asia was reached. Luke 24 says, And said unto them, Thus it is written, And thus it behooved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day, and the repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Can I tell you that revival only occurs when the truth of God is preached. I saw last night, I watched a quick video about a fellow whose father is a good Bible teacher. And I watched some heresy that his son now is espousing. A man who used to preach the gospel. A man who wouldn't hold to some of the same things that we would hold to, but a man who at once faithfully preached the word of God. And I saw last night just a quick blurb of no longer this book. It's woke culture he's preaching now. And we say, boo on him. And we say, I can't believe that. But can I tell you, there are many who still have the word of God and still have truth. We're not getting it out. If revival is to happen, if we're to strive together for revival, the truth of God has to be proclaimed. Number two. Revival occurs when the power of God is present. When the power of God is present. Look at verse 11 in our text. And God wrought special miracles by the hand of Paul, so that from his body were brought into the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and disease departed from out of them, and the evil spirits went out of them. And certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus. Same we adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And it goes down to verse 16. Can I tell you that revival begins with the preaching of truth? When the power of God's word is combined 
combined with the Word of God, great things happen. Great things happen. I have at my home, I have a, a flintlock rifle. The old school, the kind that you pour a little bit of powder and a little, little bowl on the side of the rifle and you, you close the frizzen or a little piece of steel flap down and you pull the hammer back and the hammer holds a piece of flint. And that piece of flint and that hammer, when you pull the trigger, that flint scrapes on the steel and causes a spark and opens that trap door. The sparks drop into the pan where that fine black powder is. And that fine black powder ignites and there's a little hole in the side of the barrel and it ignites the powder that's been stuffed inside the barrel. And now you just hear, and the gun goes off. But what actually happens is a spark hits the powder. The powder ignites. The flame, the powder, travels to the inside of the gun. That powder ignites. Explosion happens. And the bullet of the projectile runs out of the barrel. Now, if there is never a spark, if there's never fire mixed with the powder, it does nothing. Absolutely nothing. If I took the flint out of that gun and I, I tried to strike and there was no sparks coming, it's never going to fire. You have to have the fire, the spark mixed with the powder. Now, does that mean the powder is useless? No. It means the powder, which is powerful, has to be ignited. Just like your car. Those of you that drive a gasoline-powered vehicle, your car is powered by combustion. Inside of those cylinders in your vehicle, it is a machine called an engine that allows gasoline to come inside the chamber. And the spark from that spark plug ignites the gasoline. And it expands that piston, and is that continual breathing in of air and oxygen and, and combustion that makes that engine work. Now, if I go out tonight and I take all the spark plugs out of Brother Eric's car, he goes out to start his car, he's not going anywhere. Now, he could have gas in his car, but without the spark, he's going nowhere. Can I tell you, Christian, we desperately need the power of God. Yes, we need the word of God. But when the power of God is present, there is that spark. There is that dynamite. There is that compression on the heart of man. We see here in the book of Ephesians, in the book of Acts, in the city of Ephesus, God's power was manifest. We see that in verse 11 and 12. And we're not going to go into the sign gifts and all of that teaching tonight. But we see plainly that there were sign gifts for the Jews. And uh, we see many of those things. And the Bible says, when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part should be done away with. We're not talking tonight about, we, you know, we got to have the same sign gifts that God gave to Paul for that time. I don't believe God's given that to us for our time. But that does not mean that God is less powerful. That does not mean that we don't have the power of God. That does not mean that God does not work. We need to pray and get God involved and ask for God's power if we're to strive together for revival for our church, for our families, for our city, for our country, for our world. The Word of God and the power of God. The Bible says in Mark 16, So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven. And sat on the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs and following. Amen. Can I tell you that that power was God's power, not Paul's power? God's power, not Paul's power. You know, we don't rely, as I mentioned, on sign gifts today in ministry, but we absolutely rely on the God and His power that produced them. Amen. 
it manifests itself differently in your lives. His power, the Bible tells us that Jesus said, you shall receive power. And you shall be witnesses unto me. Both in Jerusalem and Judea. The power, God's power was mimicked. We see that, we won't read again, verse 13 and 14. We read about the man that said, oh yeah, I'm going to do what Paul's doing. I'm going to cast the demons out. Can you imagine being that man when the demon looked and said, Paul, I know. And Jesus, I know. But who are you? He tried to mimic the power of God. By the way, the devil's still doing that today. The devil did that today all across our country, all across our world. As men got up and pretended to do things in the power of God that God directly commands against. Nothing's, nothing's changed. It's still the same. There are those that want to mimic. They want to reproduce. They want to pretend to be false religions today that include the name of Jesus in the doctrinal statement. But they are so far from Him. And an acknowledgement of Jesus' name is not enough. It's not enough. By the way, did you know the devils believe in Jesus? Except they're smarter than most false teachers today. They tremble. They tremble. James 2.19 says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. You know, as we consider the need for the re revival, as we desire as a church and a church family to strive together for revival in our community, in our city, in our country. We need not rely on our own devices. We can't manipulate people into following God. You understand that manipulating people is not propagating the gospel. You know, we, we can't stir up the fires of true revival with Falsehood. We need reality. Reality. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel. And what did God say? Saying, Not by might, nor by power, but my, by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. We need to fight against and battle against this idea of trying to have a surface level of looking like what we think God wants us to look like without being what God wants us to be. We're so concerned with everything looking correct. It's like the Pharisees. They took, and they took a cup and they washed the cup and inside the cup it was dirty. They washed the outside of the sepulchers and whitewashed them, and inside there was rotting dead men's bones. Revival is going to happen when we allow God's power not only to spruce up the outside, but to work inside. To work inside of us. I went to the dentist this week. The lady that was working on me, I had to get a filling, and I said to her, sweet lady, She's eight months pregnant. I felt sorry for her having to work. She's, she had a hard time reaching me. Her arms were so short and her belly was not short. And she's working on my teeth. And I had to get a filling. And I told her, I said, ma'am, I said, just to warn you, I said, my body doesn't like to react to medication very well. I said, just so you know, every once in a while, I, I don't get numb. Numbing doesn't work on me. And she said, yeah, she said, there's a few people like that. She said, I, thanks for letting me know. And I praise the Lord. I prayed every time I have to get numbed. I'm like, please, Lord, let this work this time. It doesn't always work, but praise God, this time it did. And, uh, but I, I told her, I said, sometimes, you know, you can keep giving me needles and nothing's going to happen. You know, we often think that, you know, I, nothing's happening in me. But the power of God will always work if you get it in you know, if she took that needle of numbing agent 
and went and sprayed it in the air beside of me and knocked down on my jaw where I needed it, it would have done nothing. I had to get it in me. It had to be in me. The power of God working in me, working through you. Number three, and I hasten tonight, if we're going to see revival, revival occurs when the word of God prevails. I love this. Look at verse 17. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus. Now, what was known? Let's go back a moment. This guy faking it, this guy pretending to have the power of God. And the Bible tells us it's hilarious to me. It says he leaped on them, and it says they fled out naked and wounded. They must have really got attacked hard, ripped their clothes off of them, beat them up, meshed them up, bruised them up, scratched them up. They're running out in the street naked. Blood all over them. What happened? I don't want to talk about it. I'll tell you what happened. They failed. They failed in doing what only God could do. And when the world, the culture, found out about it, it tells us there in verse 17, this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. And many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. What happened here? The word of God prevailed. It prevailed in the life of believers. I believe those that were working in curious arts, and we're talking about witchcraft here. We're talking about Satanism, if you will, in our vernacular today. We're talking about worshiping false gods and false idols and speaking with spirits. Demonism. I believe that many of these that brought their books to be burned, they were people who had received the message of the gospel. The word of God prevailed in their lives. We talked about it this morning. God was working. It was God that was doing the work in them. It was God that would finish the work in them. The Bible says in verse 20, So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. What does our world need today? It needs the word of God to prevail. By the way, it doesn't need you to prevail. It doesn't need me to win an argument. The word of God needs to prevail. God's truth. Isaiah 55 verse 11 says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, not what you please. That's my problem sometimes. Man, this God, I want you to do this with your word. And God said, that's not what I'm going to do with it. I'll do what I want. God says it doesn't return void, but shall accomplish which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-headed sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints of marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Can I tell you here in the city of Ephesus, the influence of the word of God was growing. The influence of the word of God was growing. Christian, what are we doing to promote the influence of the word of God? Think about that for a minute. What are we doing individually? It was growing in the lives of individuals. It was growing in the lives of the city. It was growing throughout the known world. Not only that, the word of God had prevailed. The word of God arrived in Ephesus, and Paul preached it, and it was beaten back. And Paul preached it again, and it was beaten back. It was carried there by the apostles, and it faced off squarely with the opposition of the world, with the opposition of, of Satan worship and false worship, the influence of the occult, 
and yet the word of God prevailed. By the way, that word prevailed, let me share this with you. It's often used to describe a winner in a military or an athletic contest. I watched Rebecca and Josh yesterday as they competed in a Brazilian jiu-jitsu competition. I watched Rebecca as she started to turn blue as she almost passed out. And uh, she's stubborn. She wouldn't tap. Uh, but yesterday they had at that event, they had a black belt competition. And I got to watch a couple of those. As a matter of fact, the first fight I watched was the guy that won uh, at all. But I got to watch those guys. And they were, they were striving. Number one, for the prestige of saying, I'm the best black belt at this competition this year. They were also striving for a $5,000 check. They, they were striving to be the champion. They, they were striving to prevail. And as the two men, each fight, as they get in the, on the mat, and as the, the match would start, from the very beginning, those two men that fought each other and faced off until finally there was one man left, their goal was to prevail. Their goal was, at the end of the match, that the referee would hold their hand up. That they'd prevail. Can I tell you, the Word of God always prevails. The Word of God always prevails. When does it prevail? When the Savior's magnified. When the Savior's magnified. Christian, be careful. Be careful you always seek to magnify Jesus Christ. Don't magnify this church. It's His church. Don't, don't, don't magnify some aspect of ministry. Nothing wrong with ministry, and I believe it, because all of it is focused to magnify Christ, but we have to keep the main thing is magnifying Jesus Christ. If we don't do that, God's word will not prevail. After the continual and powerful preaching of Christ, over and over and over and over and over, elevating, lifting up Christ, the Bible says that powerless sons of Sceva they failed why? because they didn't have the power of Jesus Christ Jesus has to be magnified Philippians 1 verse 20 according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but that with all boldness as always so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body how about us Christians? you want Christ magnified in your body? Yo, sure whether it be by life or death. How about now? It may be that Christ was magnified through our death. They were willing of that. You cannot find a sermon recorded in the New Testament. I challenge you, try it. You can't find one sermon in the New Testament that does not center on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Not one. The apostles were not interested in reaching and lifting their reputation. They're interested in telling people about Jesus Christ. They desired to magnify the name of Jesus. They ensured that the miracles and great works they performed brought honor and glory to the Lord, not themselves. Jesus Christ. Not only was the Savior magnified, but souls were saved. Now, not every soul was saved. By the way, it doesn't say every soul in Asia came to Christ. It says they all heard. They heard. They had a chance. But there were souls saved. Look at verse 18. And many that believed. Praise God for those that believed. Many that believed. Praise God for that. Jesus was magnified. Souls were saved. By the way, Jesus predicted it. You can always trust what Jesus said. In John chapter 12, Jesus said in verse 32, If I be lifted up, say the rest with me, I will draw all men unto me. Before Jesus went to the cross, he said, Hey, fellas, let me give you a formula that will work. 
You just lift me up. You just lift me up. If you lift me up, I'll do the drawing. We need to keep lifting up Jesus. And when we do that, souls will be saved. Maybe not thousands, maybe not even hundreds, but souls will be saved. Just in testimonies tonight, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, four different people. They got saved as a result of outreach from folks in this room that I know of for sure this week. Four people in the city of Edmonton. Maybe more than that. But can I tell you that souls are saved when we lift up Jesus Christ. It says many, many believed. When souls were saved, something magical, amazing happened. In John 4, verse 39, it says that the great revival that happened in Samaria, and one day soon I'm going to preach on it. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saint of the woman. Think about this. God said, let's give some credit here. Why did, why did many of the Samaritans get saved? Because of what a woman with a really bad reputation said. Because that woman met Jesus Christ. And she said, come see a man. She said, you've got to see Jesus. She didn't elevate her sin. She didn't flaunt her wickedness before a holy God. She said, you've got to see the God, the God man. You've got to meet Jesus. You've got to know him. We need to be pointing people to Jesus. Why so souls can be saved. Souls were saved in the revival in Jerusalem. The Bible says, Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed. Praise God for that. And the number of the men was about 5,000. That's a lot of people. But not all the people. 5,000 believed. Souls were saved in the revival in Samaria when Philip arrived there after persecution. Philip went down and met the Ethiopian eunuch. Then he went to Samaria. Souls were saved during a revival in Joppa. After Tabitha was raised from the dead, we see in the book of Acts. Souls were saved during a revival in Berea. When Paul and Silas preached there in Acts 17, therefore many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks and of men, not a few. When revival happens, when revival happens, We'll have a renewed focus on reaching people for Jesus Christ. Reaching people for Jesus Christ. I'm going to read a quote to you that I mentioned last Sunday, just a portion of. But I want to read a quote to you by Hyman Appleman. He said, I can give you a prescription. Mr. Appleman was a Jew that came to Christ got saved, and God called him to preach. Mr. Appleman preached great revivals. As far as I know, the history of our city, the last great revival that happened in Edmonton was under the preaching of Hyman Appleman about 80 years ago. I can give you a prescription that will bring revival to any church or community or any city on earth. The prescription is as follows, Mr. Appleman said. First, let a few Christians. I'm sorry, this is Mr. Torrey. I'll read one from Mr. Appleman in just a moment. Mr. Torrey said, first, let a few Christians, they need not be many, get thoroughly right with God themselves. This is the prime essential. If this is not done, the rest that I am to say will come to nothing. Second, let them bind themselves together to pray for revival until God opens the heavens and comes down. And third, let them put themselves at the disposal of God for Him to use as He sees fit in winning others to Christ. That is all. That is all. This is sure to bring revival to any church or community. And lastly, here tonight, as we think about Revival occurring when the word of God prevails. When the word of God prevails, the saved, the saved were transformed. The people who lived in Ephesus didn't just change their belief system. Their lives were transformed. 
they didn't continue on with their lives as they were. Everything about their life was turned upside down. I have a dear pastor friend in West Virginia, Travis Bradley. He, he may watch our, he may watch this service a bit later. I know he watched our services last Sunday. I love Brother Travis and his dear family. Brother Jim Price got to be down a few months ago and preach for Brother Travis. Travis and I grew up about 20, maybe 20 miles apart as the crow flies, Brother Mike. We didn't know each other growing up. We used to go down to the same feed store but never met. Went to Bible college together, and somehow the Lord never allowed our paths really to cross in college together, but the Travis pastors in Charleston, West Virginia, faithful man. They have a large family. One of their little boys was born with a missing chromosome. The doctors told him he would never walk. They told him he'd never do a lot of things. God proved that to be wrong. But a few years ago, Travis and his dear wife got up and went to their little boy's room. And they found that he was in the presence of a Savior. little boy that they had been hours and hours and weeks and months in hospital back and forth with struggles every day yet many victories and blessings they had to lay that little body in a coffin and bury it beneath, beneath the sod can I tell you that changed everything in their life Praise God, they've stayed so faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. But although God is using them, although he's pastoring and they're doing a phenomenal work, Brother Travis would tell you if he was here tonight, that their life has never been the same since that day. Some of you understand that kind of loss, that kind of life-changing event. But every one of us ought to understand the difference that the gospel made in your life and in mine. Preacher told us this morning about how he used to make idols. Now he preaches against them. God changed his life. God changed the life of those at Ephesus. They didn't just add God to their shelf of gods. They received Jesus Christ and took their gods out and burned them. Their life was transformed. And praise God, I believe as a, as a church, as a local church, we ought to say, hey, we want every person to come. You come here as you are. You come and hear the gospel. But can I tell you, the gospel won't leave you as you are. God loves you too much to leave you as you are. He wants to transform you. He wants to change you. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, the Bible tells us. Ephesians says, for you were sometimes in darkness. But now in the light of the Lord, walk in the children of light. The great preacher evangelist years ago asked what the secret of, was asked what the secret of revival was. And he said, go home. Take a piece of chalk. Draw a circle on the floor. Get inside the circle and pray, oh Lord, revive everything inside this circle. May we strive together for revival. Where there's revival, there's true repentance. By the way, I believe a lot of these people, as I mentioned, brought those things to burn. They were born again folks. But God had to bring some things up and show them, hey, that's not right. That needs to be gone. God had to prune some things out of their life. That ought to happen for us, believers. When true revival happens in our heart, that happens in our life. 1 Thessalonians 1.9, For as they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had into you, and how ye turned from God, turned to God from idols, to serve the living and true God. I want to ask you a question tonight. I'm not talking about idol worshiping. 
preacher used to make idols. He doesn't do that anymore. I, I doubt that anybody in this room, maybe you do. Maybe you have a, a statue, an idol that you bow down to, you burn incense to. Maybe you do. I hope not. But you might. But I ask you tonight, if you're going to turn to God fully in your life, what do you have to turn away from? Probably the Holy Spirit of God just took a pen and pricked right to the heart of what it is if you allowed yourself to think for just a second. God probably brought to your mind exactly what it is. Pastor can't do that, but God can. What do we need to turn away from? Maybe it's some sin. Pornography. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's some kind of godless entertainment. Maybe it's a relationship that's pulling you away from God. What is it that you have to turn away from to turn to God? Whatever it is, when you allow the word of God to prevail in your life, that's when God can send revival. They forsook their idols. Why? Because they were powerless. They were useless. I had a 1961 Ford wagon. I'll share this and I'll close. My first car that I owned, I drove my dad's Jeep Cherokee when I was in high school and the first car I owned was a 1961 Ford. I love that car. I got a picture of it. That's all I have left of it. It was a special edition, special order Ford. In the old days when you bought a vehicle, you could, you could special order it. I want this engine. I want this package. And the old guy that bought it brand new in 1961, he special ordered it with a gold block high compression 390 FE, Brother Jim. The hottest 390 mate. Thunderbird valve covers. Had a big Holly 850 double pumper on top. It got about, uh, about a half a mile to the gallon. Uh, it was a powerful car. The old guy who owned it died. His body wasn't fully cool yet. He was still warm when his wife advertised it for sale. It had been sitting in a garage since 1965. It still had 1965 plates on it when I bought it in 1994. I went to the garage. It needed a battery. I put, we put a battery in it, and I, I think I paid $600 for it. And I drove that car away. I grew up driving manual transmissions, but I'd never driven a manual three on the tree. How many of you have driven three on a tree? You know what I'm talking about, the manual transmission, the shifters on the column. And I, I didn't want to act like I was stupid, so I didn't ask the, the person I bought it from how to make it work. I just I figured out where first gear was, and I drove away in first gear and found somebody on the street and said, man, how do I do this? Where, <laughs> where are the gears at? I figured it out. But I love that car. That was a fast car. It was the ridiculously fast. It was a one time I had... 27 or 30-some guys in it. This is a big car. Uh, we we had, I had fun with that car. One day I was driving, going soul winning, me and Ricky Rosario, one of my dear friends. We're driving through Chicago, bad part of Chicago, near Cook County Hospital, rough part of town. As we're driving through, a lady ran a red light T-bone that car. Hit Ricky's side. Ricky's little guy. Ricky's Puerto Rican guy about this tall. Ricky was like a pinball. He bounced into me. No seatbelts in that car, by the way. Not that we weren't wearing them. They didn't even exist. There were no seatbelts. And he bounced into me. The whole side of the car is caved in. It hit the car so hard, the, the radiator fan spun and chewed up the radiator. Fluids leaking out of it. The body was bent in half. You know what I did? I know what you would have done. You'd have called a wrecker. The lady had no insurance that hit me. I had liability insurance. I got out of the vehicle. I got the toolbox that was my grandfather's. My grandmother had given me a few months before. He had just passed away a few months before. 
I got my grandfather's toolbox out of the back. I took the license plate off of it, Brother Jim, and I put the license plate in my toolbox. I carried my toolbox, got my paperwork out of it, and we got on a bus, me and Ricky, and we went to his grandmother's house, and she made us arroz en andules and chuletas, and she fed us some Puerto Rican food that was like heaven came down. But I left that car there. You know why? Because it was useless to me. I was a college kid. I didn't have anywhere to tow it to. I didn't have any money to fix it. To me, it was useless. I left it in the middle of the street in Chicago. Just walked away. Now, looking back, I wish I'd have kept it. I wish I'd have got it towed somewhere. But in my mind, it didn't serve me any purpose. I left it. All of us have something we need to walk away from. We need to leave where it's at and say, this is, this is not helping me. This is hurting my relationship with Christ. This is keeping me from seeing people come to Christ. This is hindering my relationship with him. And just leave it. Just leave it where it's at. If we really want revival, like the revival that took place at Ephesus, it's going to shake up everything. It'll change everything in your life. But may we strive together for revival. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to come, to look in your word, to be challenged, to read about what you did in Ephesus. Lord, we love you. And Lord, tonight I would say with all my heart, God, do it again. God, would you send revival to our city again. Revive us again. Revive our country, our land. The Lord, as Chronicles reminds us, it starts when God's people, who are called by your name, humble themselves and pray. Lord, help us to do that. And God, help us to draw that circle to get inside of it and say, God, revive everything inside this circle. May we proclaim the truth of the word of God. May we see it married with the power of God. And Lord, without a doubt, when that happens, we will see the word of God prevailing, prevailing in our hearts, prevailing in the lives of our family, prevailing in our church, prevailing in our community, in our culture. Lord, I pray you would send us revival. Lord, would you work in our hearts. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Brother Colton, lost him. You would come and lead us in a song of invitation tonight. What song, Miss Lois? 45? 485. Grab your song book, stand with me. Turn to song 485 tonight. We'll have a song of invitation tonight. If God's spoken in your heart, you need to do business with God, you come tonight. Have thine own way, Lord. Number 485. Have thine word of prayer as soon as we do as soon as we say amen teenagers that need to practice upstairs if you'd head right up 
And also, we're going to uh, get the food ready, prepared right away. We'll let you know when it's ready. We're going to go ahead and pray for the food as well. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time of fellowship. Lord, I thank you for this church. Thank you for the opportunity we have to strive together, to minister together. Lord, to work together fit, fitly as you plan for it. Lord, I pray we'd find our place. We'd minister in our spot. Lord, I pray that we would strive together for revival personally, culturally, nationally. Lord, would you work in us. Lord, bless now also our time of fellowship. Bless this food to our bodies. May you be glorified. In your precious name we pray. Amen.